Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, 
You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Uh, We're going to work our way through the book of Revelation at a fairly brisk pace. We're going to try and do it in 10 sermons um, because you kind of get bogged down in the details. Uh, It's a real risk with this book, so we're going to keep moving fairly briskly and take fairly large chunks uh, like the one that we've just read. Uh, If you're wanting to follow along, there's outlines. If you haven't grabbed one already, there should be some still in the foyer and you can use that to either take notes uh, or just follow along uh, as you like. Uh, On a Friday afternoon, one of the last things I usually do at work before I knock off for the week uh, is plan the next week. Uh, I like to write my to-do list. Uh, It's usually fairly long, full of all the things that I need to do uh, and the things that I would like to do. Uh, And then I take my to-do list and I put it onto my weekly planner. Now, I'm a bit old-fashioned. I still print out a paper weekly planner. Uh, It's not on my phone uh, like it probably should be. Uh, And and I I like to take my week and I like to lay out my to-do list throughout my week in order that I'll manage to do everything that I'd hope to do. It's neat, it's logical, and then I go home and I hope. Because you know what? Uh, Almost four years now I've been a minister here and I have not had one week go to plan. In four years. That's quite amazing. It just occurred to me this week. Not a single week. Uh, Because without fail, something will happen The one thing I can be certain of in planning my week is that it will not go to plan, that my thoughts, my my structure wouldn't work out. The kids might have a sleepless night, I'll come to work either late or tired and be very slow. Uh, The sermon might throw up a curveball and it will take me hours to unravel. Uh, A phone call or an email or an urgent job will pop up that I just haven't anticipated and it will take time that I hadn't thought I'd need to spend. I mean, there's always something, isn't there? I mean, no doubt you can relate, even if you don't plan out your week, it never quite turns out how we'd hoped. Who knows what this week will bring? I mean, you can still send me that phone call or email, don't worry about that, that's okay, I don't mind, I've gotten used to it. But see, if that is true for our weeks, then how about our months? (laughs) How about our years? How about our decades or our lives? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what what curveballs are going to be thrown at us and how that might knock our plans and our lives away from what we thought they'd be. 
I mean, how can we plan our lives? What sort of confidence can we have? What sort of certainty can we have knowing that everything can just be turned on its head at any moment without, a, uh, without warning? How do we live like that? Well, Revelation 4 and 5 tells us how. It doesn't tell you the plan of your life. Uh, it won't tell you what this week will look like. But it will tell you how you can have confidence and how you can have certainty no matter what turns up. Even if everything turns to custard, there is hope here in Revelation 4 and 5 for you, for us and for our lives. And that's what we're going to see together this morning. Uh, so let's jump in. Uh, chapter 4 is essentially the start of John's vision part 2. Uh, we looked at the start of vision part 1 last week uh, where we saw in chapter 1 that he looked and he saw Jesus. And Jesus brought him this message to the seven churches, but as we saw, to all churches through all time. Well, now when we get to Revelation 4, John looks again, and this is what he sees, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet, that is Jesus' voice, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. See, all of a sudden the point of view for, our, for our, uh, our vision has changed. We're no longer on earth looking up at what is to come. Instead now we're in heaven with John looking down. And we're not just anywhere in heaven, we've been taken directly to the throne room, we're right to the centre. And what we're going to see is what must take place after this. Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you what human history is going to look like from heaven's point of view. I'm going to show you what is to come as heaven sees it. Now, this vision of, of heaven and of the throne is not unique to John. Uh, if you go through the Old Testament, you'll see Ezekiel saw the same thing, Isaiah saw the same thing, uh, Daniel. They all had similar visions of heaven and when you read their accounts, uh, the pictures and the imagery and the language matches See, like them, John uh, speaks here in symbols. Uh, he's not describing exactly as he saw. This is not uh, you know, an engineer painting, uh, not painting, engineers would never paint, but drawing exactly what they saw. This, this is an artist saying, this is the impression I got. These are the symbols which best describe to you what I saw. So I'm going to read what he saw again. And as you hear it, remember, this is not exactly literal, this is symbolic. John is, is, is using symbols full of meaning to describe this to us. Look at verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an, em resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. Before the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. See, when you, when you read through that quickly, when you just get the, 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 the most basic impressions of what John saw, it is clear that this vision was overwhelming. He has seen light and glory, it's bright and it's pure and it's, it's awesome. 
Well, he sees a throne. It's, it's the throne of God. He sees jasper and carnelian, precious stones, uh, probably red and green, uh, stones that were essential to the priesthood, stones that were the foundation of the great city that's to come in Revelation. He sees a rainbow, a picture of glory and beauty and power, but also a picture of mercy, if you remember the first rainbow in Genesis chapter 9. He sees 24 elders, uh, these, these men of great authority wearing crowns, uh, not humans because no human resurrection has come yet, but angelic beings of clearly great power and great glory. And he sees there before the throne this, this sea of glass. It's not disturbed and chaotic and scary like the earthly sea is. It is perfect. It is calm. It is clear. It is peaceful like pure glass. And when you gather all these images together, the picture that is painted for us is a picture of absolute perfection, absolute glory, purity, peace and power. It is a picture of absolute contrast to what's already come in Revelation and what is to come. Uh, It's a bit like the difference in an AFL game between what happens on the field and what happens in the coach's box. You know, the camera's on the field uh, and it is all action. It is hot and sweaty, it's fast, it's brutal, it's back and forth and it's chaotic. It's busy and it's frantic. And then the camera switches and it goes to the, the coach's box and ideally, not always, but ideally, it's calm. I mean, there's, there's things going on there. there there's, there's work, it's busy, there's stuff happening, but it's peaceful, it's air-conditioned. Uh, everyone's sitting in their plates. There's no, 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 no chaos there. And that's the picture that we have here. The earth is in turmoil. We've seen that in the seven churches already. Uh, the, the churches pictured there are churches full of, full of chaos, churches with all these issues. We're going to see it in the chapters to come, from chapter 6 onwards. It is all action, things happening back and forth. But not here. Not here. The throne, uh, heaven, is untouched by that chaos. There's there's not frantic action here trying to to bring all of this under under control, trying to react against all that's happening. It is absolute peace. It is power, it is purity, it is glory. It is a throne that is unshaken and unshakable. And it tells us that he who sits on the throne is over all. He is utterly in control. Despite the chaos, despite the confusion that we see all around us, it is not there because God is in control and things are working according to his plan. And that's why in the midst of all of this beauty, we read praise. Unceasing, never-ending praise. Look at the second half of verse 6. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. 
They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Uh, these living creatures are all about praise. Uh, they, they seem kind of bizarre, they are kind of bizarre in the language that John uses, but what they're there for is to represent to us all of creation. This is, this is the best of created beings, the noblest, the strongest, the wisest, the swiftest. They are there representing all that God has made. They're covered in eyes, which means they can see all things and all that they see leads them to continually praise God. They don't miss anything and everything that they behold leads them to praise God again and again. And every time that they do so, these 24 elders on their thrones, wearing their crowns, throw themselves down before the throne, before God himself and give praise to him. And that really is the point here, isn't it? It's not about who these creatures, who these beings are. It's about what they're doing. And what they're doing is praising, praising and praising. See, when we get this glimpse into heaven, when we look through the door and see what it is like, what we see before all things and above all things is praise. God being praised for he is holy, he is eternal, he is worthy, he is the creator. That might seem a little strange to us, this idea of constant praise. I mean, We get awkward when we get praised too much, we get awkward when we praise other people too much. It, it, it kind of feels egotistical, doesn't it? Uh, is God just you know, this supreme glory hound? Is this proud? Is it shallow? Or is it just right? I mean, think about it. Think about uh, when Usain Bolt wins a race, you know, breaks another world record, uh, he's interviewed after the race, what, what do they say? It's, it's always the same, isn't it? Yeah. Wow, Usain, what a race! Uh, that, that was amazing, that was incredible. You, you, you're fantastic. Uh, or Novak Djokovic, after he wins the Open again. You know, Novak, what a game. That was clinical, it was, it was dominant. And it's not out of place, is it? <laughs> it's the exact right thing to praise them for their achievement because their achievement is amazing, it's a right thing to point it out. Or, or think about when you see a great sunset. When you, you see the, the, the sun setting, the, the light is amazing, it is beautiful, uh, it is stunning, what do you do? Do you sit there silently? Do you just stand there and, and, and not say a word? Of course not. You, you, you call it out, don't you? Now come and have a look. Come outside and see this sunset. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful? Look at those colours. Isn't that a remarkable? You know, when we see that beauty, what do we do? We celebrate it. We, we glory in it. We point it out. Well, could it not be that God is so holy, so powerful, so eternal, so worthy, that the only fitting thing is to praise him continually and do nothing but praise him forever? Could it not be that God is so beautiful, so wonderful, that the only right thing, the only possible thing when you see him is to point that out? and to celebrate it forever. And that's what we see in Revelation 4. God is that great, that awesome, that holy, 
that heaven has to be filled with his praise because no other thing would be fitting. No other thing would be right. And again, the point is contrast. Revelations 2 and 3 tell us about chaos in the church. Uh, One church, sure, that seems to be doing fairly well, but the rest are cold, faltering, false, persecuted and oppressed. Revelation 6 on tells us of utter chaos that's to come. Uh, Destruction, opposition, disaster, pain and hardship. And that is why we need this vision. That's why John's second uh, sight, his second vision is this. Because it is reminding us, despite everything that's going to come, God's throne stands. God's throne still stands. It is unshaken, it is constant, it is glorious, it is peaceful and it is powerful and it is to be celebrated and he is to be praised. Because no matter what happens, God is the king of glory and power and nothing will change that. He is in control. He is over all things. That is what we cling to. That is what we celebrate now. It's why we we have such a, a big focus on praising him now. Because that praise, it reorients us. It says to us, the world is a mess but God's still good. Things are hard but God is still in control and he is always glorious. If you're struggling, remember his power as you see it here. If temptation gnaws, remember the holiness we see here. If fears nag, remember his all-surpassing glory. If you can't understand why life is as it is, remember he is eternal and praise him. He is in control. He is all-powerful. He is exalted above all. He is pure and holy and glorious. And that is true and it will forever be true. Cling to that picture and celebrate it and join heaven's chorus now. Whether times are good, whether times are hard, this is always our God. But what does the future hold? If that's, that's the picture of what is, what is to be, what is to come? Uh, Jesus has promised he'll show us and that's exactly where the vision takes us next. Look at uh, chapter 5 verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Uh, God is holding a scroll. Uh, the, the scroll clearly has in it uh, what is to be, God's plan. Uh, it's written on front and back. It's an extensive plan. It lays out what's going what's to be in the future and he holds it. But that scroll's sealed. Uh, it's sealed completely with seven seals. God has written it. He knows what's inside but no one else does. No one else can read this scroll. No one else can know what God's plan is. No one can see it. No one can unfold it or bring it about. John's destiny, our destiny, the church's destiny, it's all there, bound up in this scroll that is sealed tight. Look at verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. It is a tragedy 
that John sees this, that the scroll is sealed? Is there no one who can unfold God's will? Is there no one who can gain insight into what is to come? Is there no one who can see what God's plan is? Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. One can open it. It is the long foretold of Lion of Judah who was heralded all the way back in Genesis 49. He who is the root of David, that is of the line of David but far greater than any in that line, he is able to open this scroll because he has overcome. He has conquered. Therefore he can take it and he can open it. Hallelujah for the Lion of Judah. And yet what do we see as we wait for this lion to to stand forth in majesty and power? What do we see? Verse 6. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. At the centre of it all, the, the, the lion that we've been waiting for, the hero who is worthy to open this scroll, stands forth and who is it? It's a lamb. It's a lamb and not just any lamb but a lamb that has been killed, that still bears the wounds on its body. I mean, it's not a typical lamb. Uh, this lamb has seven horns, uh, not a feature found on most lambs. Uh, Seven horns that that represent power, uh, great power. It has seven eyes which represent great insight, great wisdom. And this lion lamb has triumphed. This lion lamb has overcome and has been found worthy. And listen to what is said of it. Verse 7. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. See, Jesus can take this scroll Jesus is worthy to go to the throne, to stand at the centre, to take it and to open it. He is worthy because he has overcome. I uh, found out recently that only uh, a certain group, a very limited group of people, uh, are able to actually go and touch the Soccer World Cup. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, I found it out recently. Uh, It's probably not information that will ever be relevant to you, um, but if you ever find yourself in the situation where the Soccer World Cup is nearby, don't touch it. Um, you'll get in trouble. You'll get in a lot of trouble, actually. See, the only people who are allowed to touch that trophy are heads of state, so prime ministers, presidents and the like, uh, and winners of the World Cup. So it's not just for anyone to go and grab it and have a look. You have to earn the right to touch that trophy and the only way to do it is to win. Uh, either win an election... Uh, or win a World Cup, then you have earned the right uh, to take that cup. And that's why Jesus, that's why the Lamb is worthy to go forth and take this scroll. 
because he has won. He has conquered. He has overcome. He alone resisted sin. He never gave in to it. He was never tainted by it. He remained pure. But not only did he resist it, he completely destroyed it. He destroyed it and its sting, that is death, and he did so by taking it on the cross in his own death, killing sin and death, defeating them once and for all, conquering, ending their power and triumphing. See, the lamb, those slain, has overcome, he has won. And with his blood, by his blood, he has ransomed, he has purchased out of sin and death a people for God's service and his glory. His people, all who put their trust in him. He has won and that people he has purchased get to share his victory. It is ours as much as it is his. And there at the centre of the throne he stands, our Saviour, our King, our Redeemer, the Lamb who was slain. He bears the marks there of his sacrifice and his victory and yet he is glorified beyond compare. Look at verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said Amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. Jesus is the King of all glory for he has triumphed. He has won and he stands victorious and now he holds our future. He is not only worthy to take it, he is worthy to unfold and to enact God's will and plan. He knows it and even now he is doing it. He is carrying out what God willed for this world and he will do so until he returns again. He who loves us, he who died for us, is the one who is in control of everything that is to come. That is some hope for his people. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's, there used to be a whole range of Renault shows on TV. Uh, you may or may not have seen them. You haven't missed anything if you didn't. But anyway, the concept was they would take a family, they would say, you're going on holiday for a week or a fortnight and while you do it, a team of complete strangers is going to come into your house, gut it and redo it completely as they want. I would never sign up for that. That would be far too nerve-wracking for me, the idea of complete strangers being let loose in my house to do as they will. Uh, and you can imagine that, that moment coming back and thinking, I don't know what they're going to have done. I, I don't, know, don't know if I can trust these guys. I don't know if I'm going to like what they've done. But it would be a whole lot sca- less scary, wouldn't it, if you knew that instead of strangers, your best friend was coming to renovate your house. Uh, your best friend who just happened to be an interior designer and award-winning builder. Your best friend who, who knows you very well, who knows your exact tastes, who knows what you like, it wouldn't be too scary, would it? <laughs> you know, I would sign up for that. Uh, that would be very exciting. And see, what we're being told here is that's what we have. See, the future, what's to come, it's not random. Uh, it's not just up to anyone. It is up to Jesus, the one who's our friend, the one who knows us, the one who loves us, who's died for us, 
the one who's purchased us to be his beloved people. He controls everything that's to come. It's all in his hands. I mean, isn't that exciting? Doesn't that give us incredible confidence? I mean, of course, things are going to come that are still painful. He's never promised otherwise. But he has promised he'll use the painful things for our good. Of course, things are going to come that are confusing. But remember, even though they might be confusing to us, he sees so much better than we do. He he sits above the mess. He sees what's to come. He's looking out for us. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, for our good, to his purpose, remember that above all, but for our good. Jesus is in control. Even though our path may be painful, may be difficult, he is doing good in us. And not only that, he is taking us to good. Because the beautiful thing about this throne room vision is this. Not only does it show us God in glory and in control now, but it is telling us that this is forever. This will last. That's, that's the chorus, isn't it? Forever and ever, amen. Uh, chaos will come and go. Powers will rise and fall. Hurts will come and will pass. But this is forever. Outlasting all is this. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and power forever and ever, amen. Whatever will happen, this is where it will end. One day, this is all that will remain. Glory and holiness and power and perfection. And this will be yours. For Christ has conquered, the Lamb has won, and you in him. I don't know what your tomorrow is going to bring. I don't even know what my tomorrow is going to bring. I hope it's going to be good. I pray that it will be good. But I know that Jesus knows and that he's unfolding it even now. And whether we see it or not, what happens tomorrow will be for his purpose and his purpose is good. I don't even know what this year will bring us. Uh, we're, We're making plans as a church but I don't know if they'll come to pass. Uh, I pray that it will be a good year. I pray that we'll see growth and depth and strength and I I hope that it will be so. But I know that there'll also be twists and turns and, and challenges along the way. And yet through all of that, God is on the throne. In all of that, the one who controls it is the Lamb. And so when times are tough, we don't despair. Uh, When times are good, we don't take it for granted as if we'd earned it. Instead, we hope in what we see here. We hope in the fact that God is in the throne and that the Lamb holds the future. And so even now we join this chorus that will ring into eternity in praise of him who sits on the throne and the Lamb who was slain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of all glory and power and majesty and authority. Father, what a privilege it is to to have this glimpse into heaven and see you as you really are, to see you in control, to see you over all things, 
to see Jesus, the lamb who was slain, the one who has overcome, who holds and unfolds the future. Father, help us to remember this vision. Uh, May it fill us with confidence and hope and boldness. Father, help us to overflow with praise in all things, knowing that this is who you are, knowing that all things are within your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.